How does auditory input affect cognition? And why does this matter? My name is Alex Cooch, and to first understand what this means, you need to know what auditory input is. To be honest, it's nothing special. Just put the words together. Auditory, as in the auditory system of the five senses, and input, as in sound being inputted into your brain. Next, one must know what cognition actually is. Merriam-Webster, a dictionary and thesaurus website, states that cognition is a synonym for thought. The topic of today's discussion would then be, basically, the effect of sound on thought. So, how does the sound reach the brain? And where does this affect? To sum up what the NIDCD says, first, sound is a vibration. These sound waves are caught by the outer ear and travel through the ear canal and hit a small membrane called the eardrum. So when people say, oh, you're going to break my eardrum with all that racket, that is what they're really referring to. That small membrane. Anyways, the sound waves cause the eardrum to vibrate which causes the three smallest bones in the human body, the malleus, incus, and stapes, to vibrate. These bones amplify the vibration caught by the outer ear and send the vibrations through the cochlea. The cochlea is filled with fluid, and that fluid ripples because of the vibrations. The ripples cause small hair cells to sway, and as this happens, ions rush down the hair cell bundles causing a release of chemicals at the bottom of the hair cells. These chemicals then bind to the auditory nerve and send an electrical signal, which is then sent to the brain. Depending on the frequency of the sound, different hair cells will be moved, sending a different signal to the brain. The part of the brain that deals with sound the most is the temporal lobe. Queensland Health describes the temporal lobe as most commonly associated with processing auditory information and with the encoding of memory. They also sit behind the ears and are the second largest lobe. See, now the temporal lobe has two sides, the right side and the left side. We'll be focusing on the right side. The right lobe is mostly concerned with learning and nonverbal information such as sound. Now, this is important to note because it has to do with how sound is reaching the brain. And without this process, there would be no auditory input or nonverbal information to affect cognition. Healthfully.com states that the prefrontal cortex receives information from the auditory cortex as well as other sites in the brain and puts all this information together. So, think of the process of getting sound to the brain like this, an army. The outer ear and the ear canal are like scouts. They find the information and give it to another officer. That officer is the eardrum, the malleus, incus, and the stapes. They then give this information to the captain, which in this case is the cochlea. The captain gives the information to the general, which is the temporal lobes. At this point, the information has reached its goal, 
However, there's another destination, the Commander-in-Chief, which is, in this case, the prefrontal cortex. The Commander-in-Chief then processes this information and decides what to do with it. Obviously, this example of the army is under the assumption that something really important was found. Now, you may be asking, why is any of this important? And one of the answers is productivity. Julian Treasure, the owner of the sound agency and an expert in communication and sound, suggests that in a noisy environment, your productivity is reduced by up to 66%. Ooh, that's a big number. Whereas, if you were to wear headphones and play soothing sounds, then your productivity would go back up to triple what it would be. Now, these may seem like outrageously large numbers. However, Mr. Treasure states that your brain has a very small bandwidth for processing input, and you have to choose who and to what you are listening to. Your brain will attempt to listen to other people's voices in a noisy environment, or another sound, which could possibly distract you and decrease your productivity. Whereas, white noise, described as ambient soothing sound, could increase your productivity by creating an environment with little to focus on but what you are working on. An example of white noise could be Buddhist hymns or birdsong. This could theoretically suggest that when someone is taking a test or an exam, silence is actually less beneficial than soothing sounds. So then, when considering a person's future, which could or could not be determined by a test or exam, such as the SAT or IB exams, silence could be less beneficial than soothing sounds. This may seem unimportant to someone who's not in school, however, it really is, as a promotion in a company could be more easily secured through a better auditory work environment. You could become more productive and maybe produce work of a higher quality. So what are these supposed soothing sounds and how do we actually know that they're beneficial? Julian Treasure suggests that birdsong is one such soothing sound. He suggests that birdsong is soothing because birds can be heard singing when there's little danger, and it is when they're quiet that you should be worried. Humans had evolved to notice this, and it has become largely unconscious. The bird songs affecting cognition by increasing focus and productivity. So, I want you to picture something. Some old person sitting on their porch, listening to their music but with the intention of keeping themselves smart. You'd tell me I was crazy, but I'll tell you that I'm not, and that it really isn't crazy. According to Yu Xu Yutai, Ling Chun Wang, and Yuan Hong Yang, who did an experiment on the effect of music intervention on the cognitive and depression status of senior apartment residents in Taiwan, Buddhist hymns slowed the cognitive decay of some healthy residents. This is important to note 
because the soothing sound of Buddhist hymns was able to influence the rate at which several people's minds declined. Their minds. That's kind of crazy that some sound was able to do that. These Buddhist hymns, which are the auditory input in this case, affected the thinking of the senior citizens in Taiwan, as shown by the lack of decline in the Mini Mental State Examination, or MMSE, which was stated to assess cognitive function by those who ran the experiment. Tai and those who ran the experiment concluded that Buddhist hymns may slow the cognitive decline of healthy people. Knowing that something so simple as listening to music could do such a great thing, the question really must be asked, why don't more people do this or even know about it? The study was made in 2015, which was five-ish years ago, considering this year is 2020. Tai and the other researchers stated that long-term follow-ups are required to verify the effect of music intervention on cognitive function. However, at least four years have passed, and there was no update on the paper they published. This uncertainty in the results mean that people are less willing to believe the results. However, researchers found this information over an entire year's time, that being November 1st, 2008 to December 1st, 2009, which indicates that there's going to be credibility due to the extended period, as well as the fact that this was made by professionals. If there were to be mistakes, maybe one or twice, it's doubtful that they would be repeated over and over and over again, and no one would notice them. Then there's H. Fukui, A. Arai, and K. Toyoshima, who found that the secretion of 17 beta estradiol and testosterone, hormones that are supposed to have preventative effects on Alzheimer's disease, is significantly increased by music therapy. To break this information down, these scientists found that 17-beta-estradiol, defined as a form of estrogen, as well as testosterone, can help fend off Alzheimer's. That's pretty crazy, if I do say so myself. And music therapy is able to increase the amount of these hormones that are released, which is actually kind of cool. So, the act of listening to music is beneficial to humans in it of itself. So, listen to that song that you love, and more hormones get released. Fukui and the other researchers also found that there are no differences in physical factors of music conditions between listening to the music and musical therapy, which means that increasing estrogen and testosterone can be done whenever and no musical therapy is actually needed. Though the information gathered by these people okay so though the information gathered by Xu Yutai, Ling Chun Wang, Yun Han Yang, H Fukui, A Arai, and K Toyoshima, it can be said 
the cognition is influenced by auditory input by slowing the decay of the mind, as Alzheimer's is a form of decay in the mind. Then there is H. Fukui, A. Arai, and K. Toyoshima, who found that the secretion of 17 beta estradiol and testosterone, hormones that are supposed to have preventative effects on Alzheimer's disease, is significantly increased by music therapy. To break this information down, these scientists found that 17 beta estradiol, defined as a form of estrogen, as well as testosterone, can help fend off Alzheimer's. That's pretty crazy, if I do say so myself. And music therapy is able to increase the amount of these hormones that are released, which is actually kind of cool. So, the act of listening to music is beneficial to humans in it of itself. So, listen to that song that you love, and more hormones get released. Fukui and the other researchers also found that there are no differences in physical factors of music conditions between listening to the music and musical therapy, which means that increasing estrogen and testosterone can be done whenever and no musical therapy is actually needed. Though the information gathered by these people okay so though the information gathered by Xu Yutai, Ling Chun Wang, Yun Han Yang, H Fukui, A Arai, and K Toyoshima, it can be said that cognition is influenced by auditory input by slowing the decay of the mind, as Alzheimer's is a form of decay in the mind. Then there is H. Fukui, A. Arai, and K. Toyoshima, who found that the secretion of 17 beta estradiol and testosterone, hormones that are supposed to have preventative effects on Alzheimer's disease, is significantly increased by music therapy. To break this information down, these scientists found that 17 beta estradiol, defined as a form of estrogen, as well as testosterone, can help fend off Alzheimer's. That's pretty crazy, if I do say so myself. And music therapy is able to increase the amount of these hormones that are released, which is actually kind of cool. So, the act of listening to music is beneficial to humans in it of itself. So, listen to that song that you love, and more hormones get released. Fukui and the other researchers also found that there are no differences in physical factors of music conditions between listening to the music and musical therapy, which means that increasing estrogen and testosterone can be done whenever and no musical therapy is actually needed. Though the information gathered by Xu Yutai, Ling Chun Wang, Yun Han Yang, H. Fukui, A. Arai, and K. Toyoshima, it can be said that cognition is influenced by auditory input by slowing the decay of the mind, as Alzheimer's is a form of decay in the mind. However, there are still many other ways that cognition is influenced by auditory input, one of which 
is has to do with a study done by Cheng Lao, Xifeng Tu, Yuehang Peng, Shang Gao, Jianfu Li, and Li Dong. All of them focused on the long-term effects of musical training and functional plasticity in the salient system. Now you're like, probably thinking, oh, what does plasticity mean? And what's the salient system? Those are some really fancy words that I just don't know. And plasticity is defined as the property of something that can be worked or hammered or shaped without breaking, at least by definitions on it. R3W Toga defines the salient system as a network that contributes to a variety of complex brain functions, including the oh-so-important cognitive information. Lowe and the other researchers stated that their findings demonstrate enhanced functional connectivity in the local regions and increased functional integration of the salience network in musicians, as well as an increase in functional connectivity between the left insula and the right or anterior temporal parenteal junction, or just the TPJ for short. That's what I'll be using. The TPJ is responsible for sorting through information and putting it together in a coherent package. This means that musicians who spend their whole life listening to music, composing music, and playing music are able to more effectively put information together and have it make sense. In this case, prolonged auditory input can strengthen your mind and help you think faster and more effectively.